Our scripture reading this morning will be out of the book of Matthew in chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. I'll read out of King James. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and that not thy whole body should be cast into hell. It hath been said, Whoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry the her that is divorced also committeth adultery. Can we divorce our spouse if they cheat on us? Should we? What if they ask for forgiveness? If looking at another person and lusting after him, her or him is adultery, and my spouse does it, can I divorce him or her? Should I? It reads in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1-2, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. If we are to be imitators of God, then maybe the best way to answer these questions of should I, should I divorce my unfaithful spouse is to look at how God handled his unfaithful wife. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground of the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to man to see who we would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to the beasts of the, of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helpful, helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh at the place. The Lord God fashioned to a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the, the man and the wife were both naked and not ashamed. One flesh. A bond between a husband and a wife is the closest physical and emotional bond, I believe, we can have with another human being on this earth. God understood this, which is why in the Old Testament, his covenant with Israel was representative of that of a husband and a wife. We see this covenant made in Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. Now, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham, Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall you be na named be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, 
for I made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant, to be a God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and your descendants after you the land of sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. We then see this covenant marriage with Israel fulfilled in Exodus 19 at Mount Sinai, just like how a wife and a husband approach an altar and make a covenant and wedding vows and an altar, we see the Israelites make their marriage vow with God at Mount Sinai. It says in Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 6, In the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. When they set out from Rephahim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness, and there Israel camped in front of the mountain. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nations. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel." And just like in an altar, God starts by giving his terms for the marriage. And the very first term is how Israel will not commit adultery, or in other words, be an unfaithful spouse. Next is chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. The God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall... You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. These, te these terms of God continue until chapter 24 where the contract is finalized with the typical I do fashioned by the Israelites. It says in Exodus chapter 24, verses 3 through 8, Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Then he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain with twelve pillars for the twelve tri tribes of Israel. He sent young men of the sons of Israel, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in a basin, and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. The bride accepted the wedding contract, and it was sealed in blood. Ezekiel describes the zeal and passion of the Lord for his people in and after Egypt in Ezekiel chapter 16. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations, and say, Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, Your origin and your birth are from the land of Canaanite. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. 
As for your birth, on the day you were born, your neighbor cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water for cleansing. You were not rubbed with salt or even wrapped in clothes. No eye looked with pity on you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field, and you were whored on the day you were born. When I passed by you and saw you squirming in your blood, I said to you while you were in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you while you were in your blood, live. I made you numerous like plants on the field. Then you grew up, became tall, and reached the age for fine ornaments. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. Then I passed by you and saw you, and behold, you were at the time for love. So I spread my skirt over you and covered your nakedness. I also swore to you and entered into a covenant with you so that you became mine, declares the Lord God. This scene of a man consummating the marriage is in reference back to the covenant made at Mount Sinai. Continue with verse 9. Then I bathed you with water, washed off your blood from you, and anointed you with oil. I also clothed you with embroidered cloth and put sandals of porpoise skin on your feet. And I wrapped you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments, put bracelets on your hands, and a necklace around your neck. I also put a ring in your nostril, earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your dress was of fine linen, silk, and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour, honey, and oil, so you were exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. Then your fame went forth among the nations on account of your beauty, for it was perfect because of my splendor, which I bestowed on you, declares the Lord. However, we quickly see this marriage contract made at Mount Sinai is broken by an unfaithful Israel. And notice how God's initial response is, but how it changes. This is in Exodus chapter 32, verses 7 through 14. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go down at once for your people, whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and sacrificed to it, and said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now then, let me alone, that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them, and I will make of you a great nation. Then Moses entreated the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, with evil intent, he brought them out to kill them in the mountains. And to destroy them from the face of the earth. Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and all this land of which I have spoken, I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. Israel broke its marriage vow. God could have destroyed, divorced, slash divorced his current nation, and created a new covenant slash marriage with Moses' children. But Moses points out two things why he should not end the marriage. First, from other nations' viewpoints who had not known the whole story, it would come off as hypocritical. It would not be seen as a loving, merciful, and kind, but a God of evil intent. Second, Moses reminded God of his love for Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. 
I find this similar to when I get in a fight with my wife. I think of all the good times we had, and I ask if that argument is really worth it. Now, does God really need reminding here? No. Does God know all? Yes. Am I going to try and question God's thinking here and why he had this conversation with Moses? Not my place and not for my first Sunday morning sermon, so moving on. Now, even though God does not wipe out Israel at Mount Sinai, we see him deal out punishment to those not willing to return to God. In Exodus chapter 32, verses 25 through 29, now, when Moses saw that the people were out of control, for Aaron had let them get out of control to be a derision among their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered together to him. He said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Every man of you put his sword upon his thigh and go back and forth from the gate to gate in the camp and kill every man his brother and every man his friend and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did as Moses had instructed, and about 3,000 men of Israel fell that day. Then Moses said, Dedicate yourselves today to the Lord, for every man has been against his son and against his brother, in order that he may bestow a blessing upon you today. Notice how Moses gives those an opportunity to ask forgiveness by shouting, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. This is the moment. You've sinned. You've been an unfaithful bride. You've broken the covenant, and now you have a choice, return to God or continue in sin. And it was those who chose not to seek forgiveness, those who did not go to Moses, those who did not return to God, who were ultimately put to death. The covenant with them was ended. Keep this in mind as we continue reading. So after this incident with the golden calf and Moses dealing out justice for God, just like an angry husband, this happens to me a lot, God needs time and space from Israel, his unfaithful bride. It says in Exodus chapter 33, verses 1 through 3, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hevite, and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not, not go up in your midst because you are an obstinate people, and I might destroy you on the way. However, Moses points out that for them to be married to God, they need to appear married to God. And for that to truly take place between the unfaithful bride Israel and the husband God, the two must be physically close. He says in Exodus chapter 33, verses 15 through 16, Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us, so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? God confirms that he must be close to his bride to show that they are indeed his people. It says in Exodus 33, 17 through 19, The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by your name. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on who I will show compassion. 
God then makes clear to his unfaithful wife, Israel, okay, hey, now off to a great start with the whole golden calf thing. So in order for this marriage or covenant to work, he reminds them that they are to stay true to him, their husband. It says in uh, Exodus chapter 34, verses 10 through 17, Then God said, Behold, I am going to make a covenant before all your people. I will perform miracles which have not been produced in all the earth, nor among any of the nations, and the people among you, among whom you live will see the working of the Lord, for it is a fearful thing that I am going to perform with you. Be sure to observe what I am commanding you this day. Behold, I am going to drive out the Amorite before you, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Prezerite, the Hevite. Watch yourself that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land into which you are going, or it will become a snare in your midst. But rather, you are to tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and cut down their ashram. For you shall not worship any other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Otherwise, you might make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they would play the harlot with their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and someone might invite you to eat of his sacrifice. And you might take some of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters might play the harlot with their god and cause your sons also to play the harlot with their gods. God realized that if idols and beliefs of other nations were amongst them, it would tempt Israel to be unfaithful. I think back to the scripture reading that was read to us earlier in Matthew chapter 5, verse 29 through 30. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. If Israel had kept his command of eliminating the Canaanites and their idols, they never would have had an issue in the future or later of committing adultery. And therefore, the topic of God needing to divorce for Israel would never have come up. This should be a warning to us in our own lives and how we be cautious of what we do to maintain our marriages. However, Israel does not obey the command of eliminating the worshipers and their idols in Canaan, as seen in the book of Psalms. Psalms 106, verse 34. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mingled with the nations and learned their practices and served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons and shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with the blood, thus they became unclean in their practices and played the harlot in their deeds. This metaphor, Israel playing the harlot, is the most descriptive in the book of Ezekiel. As we've read earlier, God finds this child, Israel, cleans them up, makes a covenant, marries them, adorns them, feeds them, and we see how Israel repays God as a bride. But you trusted in your beauty and played the harlot because of your fame, and you poured out your harlot trees on every passerby who might be willing. You took some of your clothes, made for yourself high places of various colors, and played the harlot on them, which should never come about nor happen. You also took your beautiful jewels, made of my gold and of my silver, which I had given you, and made for yourselves male images that you might play the harlot with them. Then you took your embroidered cloth and covered them, and offered my oil and my incense before them. 
Also my bread which I gave you, fine flour, oil, and honey which I fed you, you would offer before them for a soothing aroma. So it happened, declares the Lord God. Moreover, you took your sons and daughters whom you had borne to me and sacrificed them to idols to be devoured. Were your harlotries so small a matter? In other words, was this just a small case of, a, of harlotry? You want to talk about marital problems. Man, yikes. Am I making a mount of, of a mole? That's what God's saying here. Not only did you cheat on me, but you used my stuff to commit the cheating, and you murdered our children. You slaughtered my children and offered them up to idols by causing them to pass through the fire. Besides all your abominations and harlotries, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare and squirming in your blood. Then it came about, after all your wickedness, woe to you, woe, declares the Lord God, that you built yourself a shrine and made yourself a high place in every square. You built yourself a high place at the top of every street and made your beauty abominable, and you spread your legs to every passerby to, the multi to multiply your harlotry. You also played the harlot with the Egyptians, your lustful neighbors, and multiplied your harlotry to make me angry. Behold, now I have stretched up my hand against you and diminished your rations. I delivered you up to the desire of those who hate you, the daughters of the Philistines, who are ashamed of your lewd conduct. Moreover, you played the harlot with the Assyrians because you were not satisfied. You played the harlot with them who were still not satisfied. You also multiplied your harlotry with the land of merchants, Chaldea. Yet even with this, you were not satisfied. How languishing is your heart, declares the Lord God, while you do these things. Verse 33, men give, gifts to all, men give gifts to all your adulterous wife who takes strangers instead of her husband. Uh, excuse me. Men give gifts to all of the harlots, but you give your gifts to all your lovers to bribe them to come to you from every direction for your harlotries. So God's saying here, usually people pay for a harlot. But the harlot, Israel, is paying other people to come sleep with her. Thus, you are different from those, uh, from those women in your harlot trees, in that no one plays the harlot as you do. Because you give money and no money is given to you, thus you are different. Therefore, O harlot, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because your lewdness was poured out and your nakedness uncovered through your harlot trees with your lovers and with all your detestable idols and because of the blood of your sons which you gave to idols, therefore, behold, I will gather all your lovers with whom you took pleasure, even all those whom you loved and all those you hated. So I will gather them against you from every direction and expose your nakedness to them that they may see your nakedness. They will strip you of your clothing, take away your jewels. They will leave you naked and bare. They will incite a crowd against you, and they will stone and cut you to pieces with the swords. They will born, burn your houses with fire and execute judgment on you in the sight of many women. Then I will stop you from playing the harlot, and you will also no longer pay your lovers. So I will calm my fury against you, and my jealousy will depart from you. And I will be pacified and angry no more, because you have not remembered the days of your youth, but have enraged me by all these things. Behold, I, in turn, will bring your conduct down upon your own head, declares the Lord God, so that you will not commit this lewdness on top of all your other abominations. This imagery 
of Israel acting the harlot isn't meant to elicit feelings of anger towards her. Again, in my mind, this is the worst case scenario of a cheating spouse. Not only is she paid, she, she doesn't even get paid, but she pays others to cheat with them. She murders their children. And so what does God do? He separates himself for her, from her. He gives her over to her lovers. And after she is ashamed and humble and stops the behavior, what does God do? What does God do with his unfaithful wife? He forgives her. It says in Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 60 through 63, Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you receive your sisters, both your older and your younger, and I will give them to you as daughters, but not because of your covenant. Thus I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord, so that you may remember and be ashamed and never open your mouth any more because of your, of your humiliation. When I have forgiven you for all that you have done, the Lord God declares. We also see God forgive the adulterous marriage in Hosea chapter 14, 1 through 4. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your wrongdoing. Take words with him and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all our guilt and receive us graciously so that we may present the fruit of our lips. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say again, our God, to the work of our hands. For in you the orphan finds mercy. I will heal, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely because my anger has turned away from them. Notice here, though, in order for God to forgive his unfaithful wife, she must say, take away all guilt. They must be willing to return to their husband and repent. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 6 through 18. Then the Lord said to me in the days of Josiah the king, Have you seen what faithful, uh, faithless Israel did? She went up on every high hill and under every green tree, and she was a harlot there. I thought, after she has done all these things, she will return to me. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw that for all the adulteries of faithless Israel, I had sent her away and given her a writ of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she went and was a harlot also. So here, we do see God actually divorce his wife Israel. He provides a writ of divorce. But notice, he doesn't do it as soon as she, as she commits the act. It's not because of the harlotry itself, but because she has chosen not to acknowledge her sin and to return to him. Think back to Mount Sinai. Moses commanded that those who were for the Lord to return to God, to come to him. It wasn't until afterwards that those who had not returned to God, those who did not recognize their wrongdoing, those were the ones that were slaughtered by the Levites. Let's keep reading Jeremiah. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she went and was a harlot also. Because of the lightness of, her, uh, lightness of her harlotry, she polluted the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. Yet in spite of all, all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but rather in deception, declares the Lord. And the Lord said to me, Faithless Israel has proved herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. 
Go and proclaim these words towards the north and say, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. Again, this is Israel whom he wrote a, a writ of divorce. He's asking them to come back. Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look upon you in anger, for I am a, a gracious, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity, that you have transgressed against the Lord your God and have scattered your favors to strangers under every green tree, and you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Return, O faithless sons, declares the Lord, for I am a master to you. And I will give you one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring to you to Zion. Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart, who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. It shall be in those days when you are multiplied and increased in the land, declares the Lord. They will no longer say, The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And it will not come to mind, nor will they remember it, nor will they miss it, nor will it be made again. At that time, they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations will be gathered to it, to Jerusalem, for the name of the Lord. For Nor will they walk any more after the stubbornness of their evil heart. In, the, in those days, the house of Judah will walk with the house of Israel, and they will come together from the land of the north to the land that I gave your fathers as an inheritance. God points out that despite it all, as long as his wife was willing to return back to him, he was willing to forgive and continue the marriage. Notice the pattern back in Ezekiel that as long as the wife was willing to return, as long as she was ashamed and stopped the wrongdoing, God was willing to forgive. This verse in Jeremiah is also an allusion to the bridegroom relationship established in the New Testament, our new covenant, our new marriage with God. This covenant is mentioned in Jeremiah 31 where we Christians are now married to Christ. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart. I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin will be remembered no more. Like how Israel made a covenant to God at Mount Sinai, the marriage vows, we are married to Christ on Mount Jerusalem. This is pointed out in Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. With Hagar representing Mount Sinai and Sarah representative of Jerusalem. Galatians chapter 4, verses 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants. One, proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves, she is Hagar. Now, this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, she is our mother. The Hebrew writer, the Hebrew writer points out, Inferior, in the inferiority of the marriage covenant relationship God made with Israel at Mount Sinai. 
unlike our covenant made at Mount Zion. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 24. For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched into a blazing fire, into a darkness and gloom and whirlwind, into the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words which sound uh, was such that those who heard them begged that no further word be spoken to them, for they could not bear the command. If even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to a myriad of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to be sprinkled with blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Our marriage covenant with Christ is also mentioned in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 32. Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as the Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be, their, uh, be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that I may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church." because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. If God, the husband, is willing to forgive those of the church, the wife, then how should we speak, uh, then how should we speak on how should we forgive our spouse? Also, like Israel, if we are to maintain our covenant with Christ, we must abide by its terms. God on Mount Sinai, before Israel said, I do, God made clear the terms in chapters 20 through 24. These are the terms of the marriage. Here's what you have to follow in order for this covenant to be fulfilled. And now, with our new covenant, our new marriage to Christ, we have new terms to fulfill. By breaking these terms, we are breaking the covenant and separating ourselves from God, just like how God separated himself from the Israelites after the golden calf. While there are many terms to uphold our covenant to Christ, there is just one particular term, one subject, that I would like to look at, and that is the same subject that we saw God handle with the unfaithful Israelites. That's forgiveness. In Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 38, it says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Give, and you will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. In Mark chapter 11, verses 25 through 26, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. Luke chapter 17, verses 3 through 4, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. 
In Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35, Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven, but up to seventy times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, the Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children, all that he had in repayment to be made. So the, so the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out, found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have mercy on your own fellow slave in the same way I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. We are so blessed to have a God of forgiveness. For we are just like the Israelites, as we have all broken the terms of the covenant. For as it says in Romans chapter 3, verses 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And God does not wish to be separated or divorced from his people. He is willing at all times to be reunited with us. He hates divorce. It says in Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of armies. So be careful about your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Not only does God not wish to be separated from us, but from the beginning, he wished to be united with us so much that he sent his only son to die for us, that we have the repentance of sins, If there are any here this morning who would like to make a covenant with God, a forgiving and merciful God by confessing the faith, repenting of your sins, and being baptized to establishing a covenant, a marriage relationship with him, as we see later in Revelation with the Lamb and the Bride, come forward as we stand and as we sing.